Welcome back to Trailblazers. We missed you last week, but I hope you got a chance to check out our live stream from the Hemp Expo online. If not, it's on our social media, so you can go check it out at Trailblazers Pod. This week, we sat down with Joel Carlton, Manitoba's first cannabis sommelier. We asked him why we need professionals in the industry, what we should know about cannabis etiquette, and if Canada actually has the best cannabis. Thanks so much to Joel for coming on the show, and this is Trailblazers. So what led you to branch into cannabis from alcohol? Right. Well, you know, I've always had a passion for flavors, um, aromas, and pairings. And the way in which we enjoy flavors and aromas and pairings, whether it's food or cocktails and beverages, and now in cannabis. I've also, for many years, studied botany and horticulture and been a big gardener at home. So that all clicks in to cannabis and to all of the other knowledge that I have. And uh, it's very exciting to see how it all relates. Nice. So you are an official cannabis sommelier. Where did you study for that? Mm -hmm. Yes, I studied at the Tricome Institute in Los Angeles. Um, and I also studied at the Canareps uh, offices, or I guess, well, it was the Lifford uh, Cannabis offices that Canareps Canada had taken over for their class. This was in Toronto that I studied that particular module. They're based in BC, however. Nice. And when did you get certified? So the Tricom Institute certification occurred about a month or two ago, and the Canareps class I just got back from a few days ago. Nice. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. So what is the main difference between being a sommelier, a Cicerone, and then a cannabis sommelier? Mm -hmm. And I mean, for the latter, I don't know if we're going to stick with the word sommelier per se. I, yeah. I would like to see us use a cannabis analyst or the Tricom Institute has a term they like to call it interpreter. I don't know, but uh, we're still working on the exact nomenclature of this. Uh, aside from the exact labeling, I think that what we do is and what's different, certainly, than wine sommeliers and, and beer cicerones is um, well, I, I guess it's similar but different, obviously, because we're looking at flour, right? So we're not drinking anything, per se. And uh, really, the first thing that I think is different is just the fact that cannabis analysts, cannabis professionals, when we pick up the flour and look at the product sample, uh, whether it's with our eyes or under the loop, when we smell it with our nose, these are ways that we can tell, make all of the, the judgments of the cannabis sample before we've even smoked it. And in my opinion, a cannabis sommelier or specialist doesn't need to smoke it, which is exciting. Whereas in wine, you almost certainly will at least sip and spit to taste it, which will give you more information about what you're assessing, the product you're evaluating. For cannabis, we don't really need to do that because the reality is, is that now, mind you, you could, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing, but we don't really need to because the crooks of the matter, what the objective that we're trying to determine is cultivation history. So how was the product, was the flower grown properly or did it struggle? And you can tell that almost right away with, before you taste it. You can tell it by looking at it under the loop with the naked eye a, a quick aromatic check, all the structures, just lots of little things that, and clues basically. It's like kind of marijuana detective work. It's yeah. very exciting. <laughs> so as a cannabis specialist, you're dealing exclusively with flour or would that be concentrates and stuff as well? Yeah, for a cannabis a sommelier or specialist, I think that we would just be specifically looking at flour and the uh, the product flower samples, because of course that it comes down to the growing histories of the plant, and you really want to judge the plant. Uh, as for concentrates, I guess you could you could judge those. Uh, none of like really not a lot of the curriculum that I study has to do with that. Um, Tricom Institute they don't discuss that at all. The um, 
the counter-reps class does discuss it quite a bit, but it's more of just an FYI, as in, like, this is what these different uh, little yellow or brown goos are, or the yeah. wax or the crumbly this or that, or, you know, and so they give you kind of a basic 101, and they do go through basic extraction methods, such as CO2 and butane and this and that, yeah. which is interesting. Um, but they, yeah, it, I mean, to judge that, right, like, when you look at cannabis cups, like the Karma Cup and the Unity Cup in Canada, um, those persons that judge concentrates it's kind of difficult it's almost impossible to judge the plant right because it's already been squished and this and that and now it's this goo they more so would judge the potency and the feeling and the euphoria and the the, you know the consistency the flavor of the concentrate from doing it in the sample as opposed to what i would do is pick up like a flower um, sample and then determine from that was it you know harvested too early was it harvested too late was it manhandled was it stored properly was it did it struggle while being grown did it uh, did it experience photoperiod disruption and, and you know are there now hermaphroditic structures uh, things that we we visually assess that tells us how it grew weeks and weeks and months ago which yeah. is really really quite interesting yeah. you can't do that with concentrate at all i guess so right like history i guess yeah, yeah. so what is the difference between a bud tender and a cannabis specialist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the most basic uh, way to describe it is is very similar to uh, to hospitality. I, I loathe to make constant references and, and comparisons between cannabis and anything else because we should you really view and, and educate ourselves and judge cannabis based on its own merits. You know, it's legislated so differently. But I guess the, the short answer is that we're very similar to the hospitality industry. Uh, when you look at wine sommeliers versus wine uh, retail staff persons that work in wine stores yeah. or bartenders, uh, straightforward you know, bartenders that just you know, open beer and wine and they might know a little bit about the product that they're selling. But the task of a wine sommelier in that industry is, of course, to study everything they can, to know everything about production, the terroir, the regional differences, the product, everything and everything. So in cannabis, it's no different. The cannabis sommelier is few and far between. There's very, very few of those in each market across Canada. Bud tenders, there's many more of those. And they're an entry-level position that is concerned with retail, logistics, and distribution, just selling the product and entry-level knowledge. Um, some Now, some stores, do, and even the ones in Winnipeg, do have a cannabis specialist on staff who, and that is the term, that is the title. And this individual may come from a medical background or an ACMPR growing background or have other accolades. But uh, to date, I have not found anybody with that title in Manitoba who has the study or has the certification that I have. So then, what like what is your job? Like, how do you provide mm-hmm. services to people? An excellent question, and one that I'm hearing a lot. So the the potential for a cannabis sommelier is is vast. The number of services that I can offer to a variety of public and private groups, including the government, including LPs, including private persons curious about cannabis, it's the sky's the limit on what we can do. Uh, it's really exciting. Uh, a big part of it, obviously, is just reacting to the, the needs uh, of the community. We know that Canadians are going to want access to accurate information about cannabis. They're going to have lots of questions, and they need someone. They need to ask someone about those questions, and they need to be comfortable asking someone they can trust, someone that can give them accurate, peer-reviewed information uh, that, that is coming out of you know a scientific background. Yeah. It's just the proper, accurate information. Um, but specifically, I'm looking at doing all sorts of uh, stuff from in-house tastings and seminars and classrooms, uh, edibles, workshops, cooking workshops, of course, in-house. Yeah. And only, if, if at all, only using cannabis that was purchased by that individual whose house we are in. So it mm-hmm. is a, as legally binding as possible. And of course, I would never personally procure any cannabis for any reason, uh, any commercial reason. 
so we simply stand to educate and and stay out of you know um, the actual handling the product really at all if we can. Uh, persons, especially the layperson, you know, uh, there's so many new demographics that are opening up in cannabis in mm -hmm. Winnipeg and Manitoba and across Canada, where you didn't see these demographics using cannabis and being curious about it before. And now they all of a sudden are. So you're going to see more senior citizens, more baby boomers, middle-aged folks, uh, younger folk that just have questions, they've never tried it before, and everybody in between. So for, with a variety of needs. So yeah, whether, whether I'm doing in-house tastings and seminars or uh, corporate services like store launches and you know uh, assisting them with tours or staff training, uh, the sky's the limit really if there's ever anybody that has questions about cannabis or wants to uh, have an evaluative assessment made on a piece of cannabis, a flower sample, they can come to me and I can assist them with that or I can direct them to where they can find information to, to yeah. determine that. Yeah, so my next question was, why does the cannabis community need sommeliers? I guess just mm -hmm. provide that education. Yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, the problem is with cannabis is that for quite some time, we've had a disconnect between accurate information uh, and, and the community. We've been learning about cannabis from our friends on the couch or from our cousin or our brother or our sister or whoever, and we are learning uh, myths and we're learning things they heard from their cousin and so on and so forth. So that's where you get all these myths about like you know oh, did, how what color is the ash or does it make you cough or all these things that are just myths that can be busted yeah. really really easily and the way that you do that is you just review the scientific journal literature like the peer-reviewed journal articles um, pretty much just blows that away so you know um, we're a very brand new brand new uh, market and a brand new legalized market um, which is why now we're, we're breaking out of prohibition and we're breaking out of that, that learning myths on the couch thing and now we're transitioning to uh, professionals emerging in a professional legal landscape and able to offer that kind of uh, you know, information and education and it's accurate and it's, it's peer-reviewed. We also have uh, cannabis consultants, insured, you know, professional registered cannabis consultants in Winnipeg uh, that I'm familiar with. I could introduce uh, them to anyone that needed them. Uh, and that's just for a variety of other services too, you know, and, and this never existed before October 17th because right. it couldn't. Right. So the portents that it has now for education, for, for the betterment of society, to just spread that information and, mm -hmm. and give people more access is really awesome. And I think, I think we're going we're gonna to make the world a brighter place yeah. step by step. For sure. Um, so you talked about busting those misconceptions. Um, can you just tell me what the difference is between a sativa and indica and hybrid? Yeah, so the so there is really no standardized um, body of knowledge that correlates to all all these strains and and you know positions in the species spectrum, and what they'll do. Um, but of course, we have a lot of personal research and uh, inquests that folks have made. Um, you know, there's more and more studies that are coming out every day about the exact essential oil content, the terpene content, and how that changes, the flavonoids, the waxes, the cellulose, the carbohydrates within the plant how those burn and how those modulate and change your, your appeal. So it's possible that, you know, one indica could affect you differently than another indica. Um, but the rule of thumb, the basic rule of thumb is that indicas would give you more of a sedative, uh, sedentary, couch lock, body stoned effect, and that a sativa or narrow leaf leaning uh, plant, a cannabis varietal, would give you more of a um, euphoric, energetic head high. Uh, and then those, though each of those those uh, sets of feelings can lead to another different set of side effects and risks and benefits. But again, I mean, we've got to be careful too. Not not only is that research still coming out, but 
you also really never know if you're smoking an indica or sativa either because they're frequently mislabeled, frequently mis, you know, misappropriated. Uh, the labeling is misappropriated when they're selling the products. And it may or may not be the LP's fault. It may or may not be your drug dealer's fault. It's just the fact that we only know what we're told or even the grower just you know plants the wrong seed because he doesn't know and mm -hmm. that's just how it is. But the only way to really know is to take the kind of classes like I take and to take even more and to do even more research and read a ton of big, huge, scary, science <laughs> books until eventually you can identify like a little piece of a, a flower sample. And then by just looking at this tiny little piece the size of a toonie, you can tell how big and how you know what the the plant itself looked like, yeah. right? That's and so on the one hand, the differences are are like I said, but I mean I caution anybody from uh, from you know ascribing value to a particular plant based on the label, yeah. because we really don't know what we're getting quite yet. So there's a lot of terminology that's being thrown around with cannabis. Can you tell me what a trichome is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so trichome, which comes from um, the Greek trichoma, which means hair. Trichomes are a structure in botany which exists on the exterior of many species of plants for protection, sunscreen, um, and a few other small little uh, benefits such as creating odors and aromas that bugs don't like, creating um, spiky structures that trap bugs' feet if they have a bug you know, infestation. So trichomes are a defensive mechanism. They're a structure that the plant creates for its own um, physiology, its function. And they have a variety of functions. If you've ever seen a pineapple, the uh, hexagonal armor plating with the little yeah. with the little curly spiky thing, those are all trichomes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So many structures have trichomes, or many different species have trichomes that you wouldn't think. Marijuana trichomes look like little tiny uh, transparent mushroom thingies, and they're very 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 tiny. And when you look at a piece of flower, and you kind of spin it in your in your fingers, and it sparkles against the light, the light is being caught by the heads of those little tiny clear mushrooms and bouncing back at you and the little the sparkly crystals kind of is what we the you know is the the slang term for trichomes within trichomes is where all of the essential oils and phytochemicals or many of them are found and are developed and you want lots of trichomes they're a very good thing and they're one of the main things that we study under the jeweler's loop when we examine cannabis we want to see, are there lots of trichomes? Are they the right kind? Do they look at the right maturity? Are they fresh and are they undamaged? Are they erect or are they all crushed and, and you know, all that? So yeah, trichomes are very important. They're a big part of the phytochemical breakdown, the plant chemical breakdown, the nature of it, uh, since that's where they're produced. And then of course, uh, uh, the storage of that, like if you're storing cannabis, I mean, you're not really storing cannabis you know you're storing the trichomes when you buy cannabis you're buying trichomes because yeah. that's the medicinal or um, euphoric or psychoactive content is within the trichomes so, so. all of the thc is packed into the trichomes. majority of it yeah majority of it yeah it's it's in the base of the head of the trichome there is still thc of course in the actual fibers and in the stem and in the sugar leaves and everything but the majority of it is just the trichomes and if you shake off all the trichomes in any way and they're sitting in a pile on the on the table you can kind of arrange them in a cute little pile and that's actually sold as keef usually. yeah i was gonna just say so that's the keef the more mm -hmm. concentrated yeah hmm. um, yeah so trichomes work hand in hand with terpenes then i'm guessing trichomes produce the terpenes and uh, the essential oils are produced in the terpene or in the trichome um as well as probably in other parts of the fibrous uh, carbohydrate the actual cellular matter in the plant i shouldn't speak to that i'm at 100 percent but certainly in the trichomes we see terpene development uh, these again these are volatile organic hydrocarbons or essential oils 
similar to our, a mint plant. It smells like mint. That's because the mint oil is always evaporating and coming off of it. Uh, so in a few days, that mint piece that you ripped off and were smelling is going to have no smell because the oil is going to be gone, the moisture is going to be gone, and you're not going to be able to smell really anything after that. So similar to that, we have trichomes on marijuana plants which produce oils, and these oils give aroma and flavor, and they modulate our euphoria that THC provides. So they, they kind of tweak and change uh, the effect that you have and your feelings of the feelings of the cannabis and what it provides to you based on based on those terpenes. It's, it's a modulator. So when people talk about the entourage effect and CBD and, you know, THC isn't everything, that's a big part of terpenes and a big part of the overall wellness of the plant and then our overall um, experience and, and what we intake. When you, when you seek to have uh, medicinal effects you ha and you want to like consider like, well, what, what effect do I want or what's the most optimal intake for me? What's my optimal dosage? You should be taking into account like, am I getting, is it an isolate? Is it like, you know, THC shatter with no plant material, no oils? Is it like the isolate powders? Um, those, are, those concentrates are all illegal presently. Yeah. Or, is it, or is it a chunk of flour? Well, the chunk of flour is going to have your plant matter. It's going to have your, the oils, hopefully, if it's, if it's a good piece, a good sample, right? And so if you said you were going to smoke an equal dose of like THC that was isolated without any of that mm -hmm. versus the flour, well, they're technically different euphoria, even if the THC levels are identical and mm -hmm. the dosage is identical because the, the latter sample with these terpenes and the and all these little little bits and boodles is going to give you the fuller entourage effect this fuller feeling yeah. as the thc is modulated by the cbd by the all the little terpenes and oils yeah. and everything oh that's amazing that's so cool yeah. um how would you advise somebody who's just getting familiar with cannabis yeah so how i think the first thing that i would start with uh, advising newcomers absolute laypersons absolute 101 individuals to cannabis is to do lots of their own research to buy maybe a book or two uh, if they if they can. Uh, I, I certainly would have to develop a list of uh, good cannabis, introductory cannabis books. I certainly have never read any myself. I guess I have no reason to, but there's, I'm sure there's a few out there. <laughs> yeah. um, definitely. But uh, yeah, definitely just taking their time, going as slow as possible with their dosages, and studying all of the different options out there, looking at what's available on the recreational legal market, uh, ensuring that they're getting the freshest, uh, best, smelling best tasting product only with the accurate appeal to them right so i mean i'm inclined to think that there might be something to the indica sativa differences in the way that that people feel effects so it might be smarter for someone to have a low yield low percentage sativa which is more for daytime use uh, compared to a super strong high quality primo indica and then they you know because and and again like educating them on, you know, make sure you know the differences and make sure you know, like, what what occurs when you uh, take too much cannabis, you know, like if you are planning to do errands or, you know, whatever around the yard or some kind of work, and you uh, dose too much, you know, they should be aware that the worst case scenario, you just won't get any job yeah. work done <laughs> that day. That's okay, you'll be fine. But you might, you know, worst case scenario, you're, you're nervous, you're anxious or something. These are things they need to be aware of. Um, so that they understand the risks and understand the benefits. Uh, definitely teach them not to believe everything that they hear. Uh, you know, like even stuff that I say, they should double check it, fact check it, research it. Uh, they should understand that folks that work in the dispensaries work hard, they do their best, but they're not always trained the best. And the LPs don't have all the money in the world to send all of their bud tenders to the classes I take mm -hmm. all around North America. So, you know, and, and this kind of knowledge is very helpful. 
uh, also, myself included, none of us are medical practitioners, obviously, so they can't ask a bud tender or ask anybody in the store, like, what's good for my anxiety? Yeah. Well, you have you can't, they can't make a recommendation one way or the other. Mm -hmm. They might be able to point you in the direction of a, a group of products and you can make a selection, but even then, you should be discussing all this with your health, mm -hmm. you know, provider, your healthcare provider, your doctor, or your general practitioner, um, to make the best, you know, recommendation for you, uh, because everybody's in everybody's different. Everybody has a different pursuit or objective or goal for using cannabis. If individuals don't really care and it's just a recreational thing, that's less of a concern. But if individuals have a direct focus or an objective where they're trying to you know, they need more anti-inflammatory so they can get off their opioid medication mm -hmm. or they need uh, a sleep aid or they need an, an appetite aid. Well, if you need a specific goal achieved with cannabis, you really need to, yeah, involve your healthcare provider all the time, dose very slowly, look at different options and, and take it really seriously as opposed to just a cure-all. Because in my opinion, cannabis can't really cure anything. Um, but it may have a lot of preventative um, benefits, just mm -hmm. like, you know, like herbal tea. If you take herbal tea with like tons of vitamins and minerals every day, you're going to be at lower risk for getting certain other conditions later. But once you're sick, you can't just take herbal tea and then get better, right? So we, it's, it's part of a whole holistic health uh, approach. Um, things like the creams, the topical creams, the soap, the shampoo, uh, things like that are, are great. But they, you know, I mean, they've got to be taken uh, very carefully and very specifically and certainly for new users, I would encourage them to not seek euphoria and psychoactivity at first, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's start with, like, a CBD hand cream and then work our way up from there. Right. Especially if they're an absolute layperson and they have no real, you know, if they don't have any experience with, like, the party party thing mm -hmm. and they don't like to party, like, and they don't drink and they don't do anything else, you know, ideally you would want them to pursue only a therapeutic or medical uh, end, end result. And so then that, you know, they have to stay away from the euphoric products for that. Mm -hmm. And that's a very, very important distinction. Um, I don't know if there's a huge risk uh, for persons like overdosing and getting really, really upset and going to the hospital and stuff. I think it's pretty easy to avoid that mm -hmm. if, if they just take a, a relative um, general bit of caution and, you know, uh, do, general duty of care is, is placed upon their behavior. But we'll see how it goes over time. Yeah. Storage has a lot to do with protecting the integrity of trichomes. What's the best way to store flour? Yeah, well, jars, glass jars with screw top lids is the best way. And the reason why is because glass is inert and will not allow air transfer in and out. So it's really like you're actually sealing it. And ideally, the use the smallest container strategy always where you're putting it into the, a smaller and smaller jar because you don't want it bouncing back and forth and knocking into the sides. Mm. So a, the smallest jar that looks fuller and fuller is better. And yeah, definitely uh, getting it out of the plastic containers, getting it out of the bags. But then the problem is, is that you should, I think for legal purposes, you have to keep it in your original container right. if you're going outside. Mm -hmm. I guess if you have like a lot of Prima flour and you want to keep it really good and it's, it's legal recreational flour and it's at home, again, like this is not a recommendation, but an idea maybe to just put it into your jar for storage purposes. And then if you were ever to take it away from your home again, to just replace it into your, your, um, a small plastic labeled container whatever yeah. that is yeah. um, but again like these are things that have to be borne out over time you know like I don't know how enforcement and regulation of cannabis on people's persons will go if you know you have to keep your receipt with you if you have to keep your the original container those things have yet to be be, be seen but I mean even plastic jars have a bit of a breathe effect mm -hmm. to them you know and the plastic breaks down over time and so on and so forth so 
to really preserve your cannabis, you should have it in a glass jar. Although we know now with uh, more and more of the cannabis, you know, anal analyst, uh, cannabis analyst stuff that I'm doing, I'm learning more and more that really freshness is key and the essential oils content is key. So really like the concept of having cannabis for a long period of time is, is not a good thing that anybody should be doing really. Hmm. Like I'm not saying smoke it all that day, but the concept of saying, oh, I'm just gonna like, you know, archive this and come back to it in a few months and go try something else yeah. well you really shouldn't it's just gonna it's just gonna expire over time mm -hmm. and by expire i don't mean get bad it'll never go bad in that way it'll never rot if it's properly dried it'll never expire it's it's just dried herb but the point is you're gonna lose all your oils lose your aroma lose your pungency technically lose a lot of the medicinal effects so yeah it's better to smoke it earlier than later i guess yeah so a lot of people are introducing cannabis into their lives. Um, what are some rules of cannabis etiquette? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did an article for the CBC Manitoba recently, a written article, um, a written piece about etiquette. And uh, it was funny. They had a lot of interesting questions about like, you know, puff, puff, pass to the left, this and that, and a lot of the stereotypical kind of etiquette stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think cannabis etiquette um, is just the same as any other best, you know, courtesy and best etiquette uh, for general social interactions with with your friends or with strangers or persons that you've just met is just be as courteous and polite as possible don't smoke indoors obviously i wouldn't even smoke on someone's property in the backyard unless i'd asked for permission uh read the read the group read the the party you know if it's a pretty crazy party and people are doing keg stands and doing shots and body shots and and like three people are in the hot tub in the basement naked you, it's probably no big deal to spark a joint in the backyard right. with all the cigarette smokers but if you're at a really classy dinner party <clears throat> And you think to yourself, hmm, I wonder if this is okay. Or I wonder if I should ask for permission. You definitely should. Yeah. Right? All every time. And and just, just say, hey, may I, you know, um, maybe even before that, you would just message them and say, may I bring some cannabis to the party if I choose to have a smoke in the backyard? Is all of this, you know, cool? Uh, because the host of the party might not want you to even bring it onto the property. Who knows? Um, you know, and so little things like that uh, might help. Uh, if you do bring some, should you bring enough to share, was one of the questions that was posed by CBC. And I said, yeah, absolutely, because cannabis is meant to be shared. Mm -hmm. uh, most people probably won't partake, or they may partake because they love it and they just want a little bit or whatever. Chances are if they're a hardcore user, cannabis user, they're just going to bring they have their, their own. own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, other things like, you know, like uh, if, you know, a, a question was like, oh, do, will we ever see a cannabis cabinet? You know, like like a liquor cabinet yeah. is like a staple. Like yeah. people that don't drink usually have a bottle of vodka in the back of the pantry. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is will that be a thing where like, you know, when Uncle Sam comes over every once a year for Christmas, we have this little bag of weed for him because we know that he smokes. Maybe will that be a thing? I don't know. Maybe. Um, maybe. It's, well, it, it'll take decades probably. But uh, if, if persons are are open to it and they know their friends smoke and they just want to have a little bit around for their friends, then yeah, just buy, buy a little jar of retail, um, recreational legal cannabis, uh, maybe keep it in the fridge or something. I don't know. Like if you really want to, if you know, it's just going to sit there forever. Mm -hmm. And then occasionally folks come over, you can, you can offer them that. Just keep a lighter and a pack of papers. Cause like a pa pack of papers is like a buck, you know, so that'd be a good cannabis uh, etiquette item to have. If folks need a paper, they can just have one. Um, or if you have a pipe, or <clears throat> if you have a pipe or a bong, Folks could, you know, uh, if you had one of those that you could offer it to them if they wanted to use it. Um, one of the one of the items in the article, people said, oh, the reporter said, oh, yeah, some of the other uh, people that I asked said you shouldn't have you should throw out all your old 
dirty bongs and pipes and I was kind of like well your new ones are just going to get dirty in a week or two anyways <laughs> yeah. so you're better off just like rubbing rubbing alcohol give them a clean mm -hmm. give them a clean let it evaporate wash them again in hot soap and water you know just clean your stuff right. uh, compared to just throwing them all out and getting new stuff but yeah etiquette's just like anything really like um yeah just like ask for permission and and you know read read the table read the group and try to figure out if, if it's a good fit uh for the group and uh, if someone's smoking cannabis and you want to like enjoy some of theirs or ask them, you can just ask them like, "Excuse me, may I please have a little have a little taste? I'm curious." Or, "I forgot mine. Can I have a puff?" And mm -hmm. you could even just say, "Hey, man, here I'll, I brought a you know a twelve. Here, here have a beer. I brought a six pack. Here have a beer," and kind of like hit him back for that yeah. or hit her back for that. But just yeah, I don't know, just like basic kind of etiquette and yeah. courtesy, I think. Yeah. Um, where do you think the cannabis industry will go? Do you think we're going to transition away from smokable products or? Well, if you look at the Colorado market, which is in its fourth or fifth year of legalization now presently, we have about fifth, and again, I shouldn't speak to this because I don't have the numbers, but a very, I'll just say a large proportion, a surprisingly large proportion, almost half is roughly edibles, which is, which is really impressive for the market. So we see already right away, we see a shift away from smoking specifically, whereas in the black market, it was pretty much 99% smoked, right? Whether it was concentrate, like a, a honey oil, or flour or shatter that you managed to get from somewhere. It was not like your dealer had 50% flour, 50% edibles and cookies and brownies for sale. That's just not what's available in the black market. So in the future, the industry, will we see a transition away from smokables? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Not not wholly. You're all, people are always going to be smoking it. But after the first year or two, when you have edibles coming in, if those are available, cookies, candies, brownies, etc., those are going to take significant market share. Next is going to be concentrates which will allow people to vape and that will also distract and and whatever f away from that market that smokable market so that's going to affect those numbers but i mean it's all just consumption at the end of the day so you're still going to see the money funneling into the the recreational end of it and and that that profit is going to grow and grow that gross sale number is going to is going to grow and they're just going to like uh, diversify mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it's a tough call um colorado has a lot of portents for us though i think yeah yeah mm -hmm. So I've seen this myself and I've kind of wanted the difference between solvent and solventless cannabis mm -hmm. concentrates. Yeah, so that's a big uh, that's a big can of worms. Yeah. And part of the problem with that to begin with is the definition of the word solvent is really broad. If you actually Google it right now and Wikipedia it, you will see that water is a solvent because a solvent is anything that is a meat, like a, a liquid base or whatever, a gash, gaseous base. It's something that washes away the essences and then of something of a medium like a herb or a spice or whatever, and then it washes those away and it arrests them and renders them in solution into itself, into the solvent, right? So like when you make tea, water is your solvent and your medium is the tea leaves. Mm -hmm. You boil the water, you drop the tea leaves in, and that hot boiling water immediately wrenches the oils and the color and the flavors, the flavonoids and all those things out of the tea leaves and it drops into solution in water. It automatically just colors the water and then you can drink the water and now you have those vitamins. And this is something that human beings have been doing for thousands of years. We've been making tea out of all this, the herbal stuff that grows in the woods, which even now around our very homes, like weeds are full of vitamins and minerals and blow your mind. But anyways, so it's the same thing with, with cannabis concentrates and it's what the hippies were doing in the 60s and the 70s. They were making honey oil out of ethanol, overproof ethanol, probably Everclear. Mm. And they would do the wash, they would throw the weed into the big pot, stir it all around, mix it up, and then a day or two later they would just reduce it on the stove, very, very low heat. Um, by the way, for our listeners at home, don't ever do that. It's super dangerous. It will explode. Yeah. It could. Well, it explodes. So if it gets over 
80 degrees Celsius, it'll start to combust because the 78.5 is the ethanol evaporation, which is what they want. But too close to like 85, 90, and it starts to combust, obviously it will explode. Um, so long story short, solvents, solvent-free, solvent concentrates, they say that the rough definition is that it's an extract, so they're washing the trichomes and the medicine off of the flour, whether they're using butane or uh, propane or other, other stuff, solvents, that are essentially chemicals. When they say solvent, they mean a, a more rougher chemical-based solvent. They're not talking about water, like I was using that example earlier with tea. They're talking about a chemical. So that's why persons that want to be imbibing cannabis as cleanly as possible are going to be looking for solvent-free extracts. So those are extracts or concentrates that are made out of, uh, without any chemical solvent. Um, you know, like a good example of like uh, an extraction is like almond extract or bitters or, you know, vanilla extract in our kitchen. We're all familiar with that. That's just a bunch of vanilla beans thrown into some overproof alcohol. The alcohol sucks out the vanilla flavor and the color, and then you strain it off and then you put it into jars and that's your vanilla extract. So it's the same kind of thing. Uh, and again, the alcohol is the solvent in that example, but it's, it's food grade, of course, it's, it's potable. Um, so solvent-free extractions, examples of those for cannabis, uh, concentrates would be like rosin, where it's heat and pressure, very slow pressure, and it warms up all of the oils and all the trichomes, and through that pressure, heats it, melts it, and squishes it away, away from the flour, which then is rendered into a flat puck. Then you remove the puck, and then slowly scrape the shadow of that, that pressed goo, you know, yeah. so, I mean, yeah, solvent, solvent-free, is there a big difference? Sure, maybe. I don't know. I mean, again, there's no standard body of, of evidence on this that we have scientifically that says, you know, that solvent-based extracts are way more dangerous or way more dirty. People talk about how there's a risk of butane being retained over in the end-pressed product and so on and so forth. Then other people say, oh, we have studies that, that says that it evaporates. It probably depends on who makes it and how they make it. I mean, there's lots of factors, you know. Yeah. Uh, what we do know is that people are smoking lots of solvent-based chatter and, and concentrates right now, and nobody's suffering ill, uh, adverse health effects necessarily at present. That doesn't mean that there, there won't be any. Mm -hmm. We just don't know that there, we just don't have the studies on them at present. So that's kind of the rough description as I understand it. Yeah. Um, so you've interacted <clears throat> with cannabis from all over the world. Uh, is it true that Can Canada has the best cannabis? Uh, I don't think so. I think I think the best cannabis doesn't come down to a national thing or a national identity. I know that the cannabis in Canada is quite good, and it is excellent. Um, cannabis in, you know, northern and, and eastern Europe probably is, is great because you see all those, uh, there's a lot of jurisdictions and national governments there that have taken a more lax approach to it. Um, California has taken a very lax approach to cannabis in, in a long time and uh, for a while, and so has Canada, even when it was prohibited. So when you look at those three countries, or regions that I just listed, which have lax, you know, laws concerning how it is prohibited. What you get is, is you get more research, you get more development and growing techniques, and thus it creates better cannabis. So really, the best cannabis is just wherever the best grower is, you know. And um, we should absolutely be proud of of the cannabis that's grown here and the the leaps and bounds, the strides that we have made, especially in Vancouver on the west coast for decades. They've been working on this, similar to you know, the West Coast of, uh, of the States, how they're you know, like incredibly progressive, left-wing, always like researching sacred plant-based healing methods and cannabis development. 
the uh, Emerald Triangle in North Cali with uh, it's, it's Humboldt County, Mendocino County, Trinity County. That area has been producing incredible outdoor, like mega high quality cannabis for quite some time. They've been doing a lot of genetic work and lineage uh, development and land race studies and just everything there, you know, and, and building whole new strains and whole new gene bases and gene pools of really high quality phenotypic variation um, in, the, in those regions. So all, all that's really, really huge. Um, do we have the best cannabis? Tough to say, but, uh, you know, I guess we'll know eventually, like give it five or 10 years, you'll start to see a lot of like great, you know, legal cups, I hope, um, cannabis cups where we can finally start to brag about this and the pictures, the ratings, all of these things. If we ever have a standardized rating system, you know, it'll, it'll finally allow us to do a bit of bragging because Canada, when it comes to all sorts of stuff, Canadian, Canadian products, we're too humble. We don't like to brag. We're too nice. Canadian whiskey is incredible, Canadian beer is incredible, and we're too humble to run around and brag about it, and we should be because it's an amazing product. Over time, I think we're finally going to have that privilege with cannabis too. Mm -hmm. Nice. So if you could teach listeners one thing about cannabis, what would it be? There actually is such a thing as quality cannabis. There is. No matter how skeptical you might be about cannabis sommeliers and analysis and the concept of, of someone, you know, picking up their monocle and, and peering at it and staring at it and sniffing it and saying, this was grown in the following ways. I mean, the reality is that there is something to it all and it really is mind-blowing. I was skeptical too. I was skeptical of everything. Indica and sativa, I was skeptical of that. CBD, I was skeptical of that. Terpenes, I was like, whatever. And and just everything. Um, and then as I started to learn more and more about it, it really opened up my... It really it blew me away. It was mind-blowing. It was amazing because I already knew so much of these things from gardening and from, from food and beverage and, and wine studies and all these things that I'd already studied that when I started to study cannabis, the really next-level cannabis quality evaluation and everything, it all clicked and it all made sense. And I just went, wow, no way. Like, it's, it's one thing to learn something new and you, you take a while to like kind of wrap your brain around it. But when you, it's another thing when you learn something new and you're like, oh, I totally get that. And it clicks. It just makes so much sense. Like mm-hmm. I see how that is obviously accurate because mm-hmm. of it, just everything else that the plant tells us and everything in botany and, and just general plant science. So when, yeah, so the concept of like finding that, that holy grail for you, you know, I remember it was, um, I remember what it was and what it looks like and what it smelled like. I smoked a little bit a year or two ago and I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. It tastes like blueberry cheesecake and it looks incredible. And it's, it's like perfect. Like I just, I was just blown away and I'll never forget that because it was the next day that I woke up and thought, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe there's actually quality cannabis out there and I shouldn't just, you know, like, and, and the reality was, is before I was a, an award-winning craft cocktail mixologist who traveled North America, you know, I was in Playboy, I was in HGTV before I had all those accolades. I just guzzled Budweiser and did shots of uh, cheap Canadian rye yeah. <laughs> because I didn't care. I didn't think there was a difference. I just thought it was just liquid. You drank, you got drunk, and that was the pursuit. Yeah. But now I sip these fancy, weird Italian Amaros, these bitter liqueurs that nobody's ever heard of before. And I drink out of these silly-looking glasses and all sorts of stuff, you know, with my pinky out. And I'm a whole new, whole new man when it comes to food and beverage. And I understand that there really is such a thing as quality beverage. So, it, but that took time for me to go to take the courses, do the competitions, do the, the seminars and learn about quality beverages. So it's just like anything in life, really, when you, you know, you can't be too, too skeptical about, uh, about quality anything until you've really gotten into it and, and learned about it. But it's, uh, yeah, anybody that's skeptical about cannabis or cannabis sommeliers or the, the quality, the terpenes, the CBD, the trichomes and everything, I encourage them to come and speak to me. 
um, because I'd, I'd be happy to tell them all about how it really is actually surprisingly quite legit. And furthermore, they could even bring me a, a flower sample and I could sit there with them and look at it and tell them everything that uh, I think is wrong with it, everything that was right about it. Yeah. And I could make some uh, some his historical um, predictions such nice. as was it harvested too early, too late, yada, 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 and all these things. And I, it, the reality is, is if, if I'm on my game, and I, don't get me wrong, I still need a lot of practice, and I'm, I'm still a student, I'm still learning, but eventually what I should be able to do is make a prediction on the psychotropic effect of that wow. product based on, again, like just how many trichomes, what's the structure, what kind, what's the ratio, no, 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 all these things, is it mature, is it immature, is it overly mature, all these things will, should lend to that modula modulatory effect that we talked about earlier, that all these little little individual clues and little recipe ingredients, little, little pieces and parts to this plant, as they combust, as we smoke them, we're going to get different effects and appeals. And it, the only way you can really predict that is by looking at them close up yeah. uh, and having that knowledge, that know-how. So I'd be happy to take a look at anyone's samples, and who knows, they might they might be pretty surprised. Yeah, you right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite strain? Um, well, so obviously, like the blueberry, um, the whole blueberry lineage is really great because it's super fruity and super fresh. Yeah, the, the original blueberry was an am a coffee shop favorite in Amsterdam. I think it was the 70s or the 80s that it was originally developed by DJ Short. And it's on the indica end of the spectrum, I'm pr I think, uh, pretty sure, because what you get is, is you get that, um, that Hindu Kush Valley blue leaf thing going on and that dark purple coloration, which is really, it's not blue per se, it's, it's purple. It's a dark purple leaf, which is a natural phenotype within the cannabis plant. Uh, and it comes from that that Hindu Kush region genetically, based on what I've been reading. So that whole kind of area, um, the blueberries was an offshoot of that that Kush uh, variety, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so the fruitiness, the fruity flavor, the aroma, everything about it is really nice, kind of sweeter. Um, yeah, so I love anything that starts with blue, you know, yeah. like blue dream, blue um, uh, Winnie the Blue. Um, blue OG Kush, all those those strains are really yummy yeah. and really tasty. Um, the Afghan stuff is a little bit more pale and tan in color and a little bit more kind of grassy and hay-like, and that's an original land race that is a little bit more um, lighter and straightforward. And then um, the, the, the hazes are more like lemon sugar and yeah. like sweeter sativas. Yeah. Those are cool too because they have that kind of like candy thing. And um, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see all the different strains and what, what's happening with those. It's hard to have a favorite strain though because every strain is, is going to be grown a little bit differently, right? So the expressions that they might have, the phenotypes they express, the flavors, the smells might be a little bit different. Um, so it's tough to say that I have a particular strain that I love um, unless it was always being grown by the same producer the same way. Then you could say, oh, I love the yeah. yada yada by so-and-so. But yeah. even then, each crop could be different from crop to crop. That's a really good point, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um so that's all I had for questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add or? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, if people are curious about me, they want to they wanna reach out to me. Um, I do have a cannabis consulting firm called Canada Comfort, and that's at www.canadacomfort.net. They can also check me out on Instagram, at Canada Comfort. And we're going to be at the Hemp Expo uh, in a few days. Folks probably won't hear this by the time, but uh, we, we'll, we'll have had a ton of fun by then. And we'll be doing future hemp expos as well. So anytime that readers hear about a hemp expo, they should swing on down. And fear not, it is just a bunch of cool, normal people hanging out at the convention center. It looks like any other trade show. Come on down and you'll learn all sorts of fun stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Claire.
Thanks again to Joel for coming on the show. If you want to get in contact with him, you can find him on social media at Canada Comfort. But we want to hear from you too. Tell us about your favorite strain, favorite consumption methods, or just general thoughts on our social media at Trailblazers Pod. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.